0: welcome to the liquid church podcast a place where you can hear the timeless truth of god's word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge today you're tuning in for our series the daniel dilemma in this series you're going to meet a young man named daniel who did something remarkable he learned to stand firm in his faith and love others well despite living in a culture of compromise together we'll learn how to walk closely with god without caving to pressure or alienating those we hope to reach. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message.
1: All right, what's up everybody? Welcome to Liquid Church. Hey, I'm Pastor Tim. Let's welcome everybody to Church Online or if you're in person. So glad you're here for week two of our spring series. We're called the Daniel Dilemma. Uh, Here's what's happening for five weeks. Our small groups are going chapter by chapter through one of the most exciting books of the Bible. It's the Old Testament book of Daniel. And if you want to join a small group, it is not too late. Uh, Just visit liquidgroups.com. You'll see a list of over 100 small groups All ages and stages, most of them meet over Zoom, so it's super easy to join one. Jump right in. Uh, Now, this series and small group study is based on a book written by my friend, Chris Hodges. Uh, He's a pastor at Church of the Highlands, and uh, we were at a conference together a few years ago, and he gave me a copy. And I love the premise um, that Christians today really kind of face a dilemma, right? We increasingly live in a a world that's kind of hostile towards God and and seems to reject a a lot of what Christians believe is kind of bigoted or, or outdated, and the question is, like, how do you stay faithful to Jesus and the word of God? Like, like how, how do you do that without caving to pressure or watering down your convictions? Like, with, with all this cultural pressure, is it possible to stand firm without coming across, like, as a judgmental jerk? I don't even know how to say it. Because it's like, they will know we are Christians by the debates we win. No. They'll know we are Christians by our what? By our love. Do you actually have a heart? for those who disagree with you. Do you see the dilemma? Like, how do you balance it? Is it possible to love well and stand firm, balancing grace and truth in this dynamic tension? Well, according to prophet Daniel, it is. And uh, Daniel was a young man, actually in his teens, maybe early 20s, when he and his friends were taken captive and they were carried off to a pagan nation named mm, Babylon. Can you say that? Babylon. It's around 600 BC, Jerusalem was attacked Conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar, he was this kind of ruthless leader in the ancient world. There's a picture of him, and he he took Israel's kind. Of, that, that's a selfie from Insta, and he and he took Israel's hashtag Babylon best and brightest captive as prisoners of war. And what he did is he would bring them back to Babylon to serve in his royal palace. Now, last week we learned that Nebuchadnezzar had an indoctrination program, and what he did is he gave new names to Daniel and his three friends as a way of changing their identity. So, in other words, he said, instead of you being defined by, you know, your relationship with the God of the Bible, we're going to erase that. We're going to change your identity and call you something different. They gave them new names. Daniel, he said, your name is going to be Belteshazzar, and the others were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we said, you know, one of the ways that even our world will try to conform you to its image is to cause you to question your identity as a dearly beloved child of God. Like, think of who you are in the eyes of God. You're not just made in his image, but, but you have been forgiven. You've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. But our culture will call that into question. Like, what are we talking about, man? Why do you need to be forgiven? You know, everybody has their own opinion. You don't believe all this stuff in the Bible, Right? Like, it's pretty, pretty antiquated, man, out of touch with the times. You know, I think people should kind of pick and choose, you know, what works for them. You do you, right? Do whatever feels right to you. And so culture will get you to believe things about yourself and about God that simply aren't true. It's really step one in the indoctrination or brainwashing process. Now Nebuchadnezzar also tried to give these young men a new diet, and that was his attempt to compromise their convictions. But give Daniel credit. He stood firm on his biblical convictions. He said, no, that ain't kosher, kosher baby. He said, uh, he said very firmly, but he was polite about it. He said, respectfully, sir, um, I have some convictions about what goes in this temple, and I'm not going to eat dirty food that was sacrificed to idols. In fact, I'll, if it's okay with you, I'll just go vegan. I'll have fruit and veggies, and I'm just going to trust God's going to give me the strength to serve well. And so those four boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they took a 10-day taste test. They came up with a creative solution that actually impressed even Nebuchadnezzar, and they actually got promoted. See, this is what's so fascinating about Daniel. Because he leads with integrity, he will not waver on his convictions, but he treats people with respect and honor, even those who are wicked, David became a person of influence, And that's what we all want to become, right? I want that for you. I want you to become a man or a woman who influences your culture for Christ. So the question is, how do we do what Daniel did? Because somehow he was able to balance this standing firm and holding fast while loving well at the same time in a culture that just rejected God's word. He never compromised his beliefs. But watch this. He never lost his heart for people. He balanced truth and grace in this dynamic tension just like Jesus did. I mean, Jesus is our ultimate model for this. Uh, John says this, Jesus came from the Father full of what? Let's read it together, church. Full of grace and truth. He, he perfectly balanced the two. In other words, Jesus set the standard for righteous living. And yet at the same time, he loved broken people who wanted to be forgiven and set free. So Jesus is our ultimate model for loving well and standing firm. Now, today, we are going to see these young men go through another test where their faith comes under fire in Daniel chapter 3. So if you want to open your Bible there, Daniel 3, I'm calling this message Faith Under Fire. And it's a pretty famous story. You may have heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. Um, Tail fans, remember a famous episode uh, about this? But this is a historical account, and we're going to read. It's super powerful, and we're going to go verse by verse, 30 verses in Daniel chapter 3, so buckle up. We're going to dive in. Here's what it says. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, catch this, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And uh, this is not as crazy as it sounds, like making a monument to yourself. Like in the ancient world, authoritarian leaders like Nebuchadnezzar, they didn't just want you to obey them. They want you to worship them. Now not much has changed, right? They, they demanded 100% loyalty from their people. And so Nebi sets up this, this enormous statue, 90, 90 feet tall. Guys, this is nine stories tall. It's enormous. And you're like, I can't imagine that. Well, I'll show you. Here's a modern example today in the capital of North Korea where they actually set up a giant bronze statue of Kim Il-sung. That's the founder of North Korea. He's the founding father of the communist state. They call him our dear leader. And every year in Pyongyang, Koreans are forced to come out and, watch this, bow down to this giant statue. It's pretty chilling, actually. Now, this is obviously super egotistical. Uh, He's basically declaring, hey, I'm not just your nation's leader. I'm like a god to you. And that's what's happening in Babylon. It says King Nebuchadnezzar made this gold statue 90 feet tall. He set it up on the plain, the province of Babylon. And then watch this. He sent messages to all the government officials, the high officers, the, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all y'all, just come on out, to come to, watch this, the dedication of the statue he had set up. Verse 3 says, so all these officials came. They stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And then a herald shouted, Do-do-do-do! People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. Now watch this, watch this. When you hear the sound of the horn, he's like, when the band plays, get ready. When you hear the flute, the zither, what is a zither, by the way? Like, Pastor Clint, we need a zither up in the worship team here, okay? I'm just, if you want to audition, you do the zither, talk to Clint. Uh, Zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. In other words, when the worship team comes out, he goes, I want you to what? Here we go. Bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anybody who get any ideas about refusing to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar's like, I love you, my people, and you may bow down to me or else burn in hell, right? It's like, it's like what a dear leader. And it's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because behind the spirit of Babylon, watch this, is this satanic impulse to steal worship from God and bring glory to yourself. Nebuchadnezzar is literally setting up a worship war. And what I mean by worship is actually a lot more than the songs we sing. Worship is about what you give your heart to. Worship is about like what matters most in your life. Like like who is your top priority? What gets your loyalty, your allegiance, your time, your money, your affection? That's often a clue to kind of what you worship. See, understand, God created you and me to worship. That's actually our primary identity. And we all worship something or someone. And and the truth is, if you're not worshiping your creator, then you're putting someone else in his place. And that's what the Bible calls idolatry. It's simply bowing down and offering your heart to false gods. Now, I get it. Some of you are like, well, Tim, come on, come on. Bro, it's modern America. I'm not an idolater. I don't bow down to, like, you know, pagan statues, man. I have a little shrine in my office. I'm an American, man. But let's be honest, right? There's all sorts of American idols <laughs> you and I worship. Like, our culture bombards us every waking moment with, with idols of power, uh, idols of money, sex, fame, tempting us to bow down pursuing each one. And the truth is, if you haven't drawn, like, a line in the sand in your heart, it's pretty easy to cave to temptation and be seduced by American idols. Let me tell you about the, um, the biggest worship service I've ever been to. It was actually back in 2003 in New York City. And I will, I will never forget it. Um, The sight of fifty thousand people, over fifty thousand people, all together worshiping. we, We all had our hands raised. We're all shouting. We're chanting. We're clapping. We're like dancing in unison. It was incredible. People of every stripe, poor and rich, every ethnicity, very powerful. Everybody celebrating and worshiping the object of our devotion, Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. I'm talking about Yankee Stadium, Game 7 of the ALCS. Anybody remember this? When Aaron Boone hit his walk-off home run against the Red Sox, and the city erupted. I was actually at that game. See me in the picture over there? And... uh, I will never forget the feeling of that. 50,000 people literally on their feet, hands raised, woo, like just hooping and hollering. Strangers are hugging. Men are crying. Let me just rewind the tape for 30 seconds. Enjoy. our are tied at five as we go to the bottom of the 11th. Here's Aaron Boone to lead off. His first at-bat of the game. There's a fly ball. Keep to left. It's on its way. There it goes. And the Yankees are going to the World Series. Remarkable history, Aaron Boone down the left field line. Yankees win. The Yankees win! Praise God. It doesn't get better than that, people. I'm just telling you. Can we just relive that? Not only do you go to the World Series, you get the double blessing of crushing the wicked Red Sox. Boston is the Babylon of our time. All right. Now, why do I tell you this? Because I remember, I will never forget this, standing in the sea of 50,000 strangers, again, black, brown, white, yellow, everyone jumping up and down, literally got hugged by 15 strangers, and people are raising their hands, and they're screaming. And, they're, and, they're just, and it's, I thought, it's kind of funny, actually, when you think about it. Because some Christians today aren't comfortable worshiping God that way. Like, like you know, I don't like getting too excited in church. I just, I just a whole, you know, hand I raise I just don't go with all that stuff. People get all emotional. By the way, can I just tell you, that's one of my dreams. Can I share with you a dream? That someday, in fact, I pray the day we come back after this pandemic that the praise and worship coming out of this church, the house that God built, would be 10 times louder and greater than the worship coming from Yankee Stadium. Can you make some noise? Say amen in the chat if you agree. We got a lot to praise God about. And I'm just telling you this because I I say this again. It's great if you enjoy sports, and I love sports too, but, but most Americans are more comfortable worshiping a sports team We we spend our money, we invest our time, we lavish our affection on them. And you may be a loyal fan or even a fanatic, but that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. He wanted all those people to come out and worship him like a god. And it's actually a a satanic impulse to steal worship from God. Did you know that's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven? That was the original worship war. Lucifer is an angel and he said, I want to be worshiped. So I'm going to exalt myself, I'll raise my throne, I'm going to get the glory, not God. So this is a worship war happening in Babylon, you catch this? And Daniel and his friends are caught in the crossfire. They're given an ultimatum, listen, you either bow to the ground to worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue and anyone who refuses will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And these are men who live by God's word and they knew that idol worship was a violation Of God's ten commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol or bow down to one. And they're like, king, in good conscience, we can't do what you're asking. We can't bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Now just remember what I told you last week. Culture always creates a confrontation. And so this is a clash of biblical values versus doing what their government demanded. Right? The Babylonian government is like, you obey the rules or you suffer the consequences. And we see that same worship war underway in our culture today, don't we? I mean, like, in a lot of ways, like, let's be honest, I'm not trying to be political, but, like, Christians today are increasingly under pressure to bow down and just accept things that actually go explicitly against the Word of God. In in America, it's no longer enough that abortion is is legal. Now we're being forced to actually offer it and pay for it through tax-subsidized health care. And you better bow down to the new rules of inclusivity. You better broaden your very narrow definition of marriage. Who gets to use which public restrooms, which pronouns to use? You better go along with this or else. Now, again, hear my heart. I'm not trying to pick a fight with the culture. The conflict is already here. And the question is, are you going to bow down or are you actually going to stand firm for what you believe? And can you do it with actually having a heart for people? In Babylon, the vast majority of people just bow down. No surprise. Look at verse 7. So as the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, what they do? They bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So try to imagine the scene, hundreds of thousands of people bowing down. Better yet, again, take a look at this. Here's a picture of North Koreans being forced to bow down and salute the giant bronze statues of Kim Il-sung and his son Kim Jong-il. It's idol worship. And they have no choice in North Korea, but you better go along with this. You end up in a concentration camp. Get your mind right. And this is an incredible moment because there were some leaders who hated Daniel and his friends, and they said to Nebuchadnezzar, they said, hey, those boys over there, they ain't getting with the program, Nebi. <laughs> there are some Jews. Here's their names. You want the list? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They paid no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and don't worship the gold statue you've set up. In other words, they're like, these boys ain't bowing down. (laughs) And they're like, as believers, we can't do that. Now, watch the reaction, because again, this is so apropos to our culture. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into what? Flew into a rage. Everyone go, rage. We live in the age of outrage. You ain't going to go along with me? And he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. Now imagine these three boys, maybe late teens, maybe early college, when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, you guys, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and you worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of musical instruments. Notice the Bible says, Nebi flew into a rage. Another one, another translation says that he was was furious with rage and his face contorted. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar reacts right now like our culture reacts if you push back. Guys, you and I are living in an age of outrage, a toxic culture where people of conviction can't even disagree anymore. Like if you don't believe what I believe, then I hate you. I can't tolerate you. I can't stand you it's awful. It's toxic. When people of different positions get to this place of just sheer hatred and anger and and rage, let me just tell you something about our nation. A nation that's divided like America is right now can't stand much longer. It has to change. And I believe it needs to start with the church. We have to learn how we can actually love well while standing firm. Nebuchadnezzar's, he's like, I'm going to give you one more chance. And when you hear the music by God, you better dance, boys. You better bow down to me. If you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then he says this, and he says, Then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And I always hear that like in a Star Wars voice, you know? Like Emperor Palpatine, Who will rescue you from the dark side, Skywalker? I just hear it that way, you know? We laugh, but you, but you see, their faith is under fire. You get this? They're caught between a rock and a hard place. And I want to prepare you because some of you are going to know how this feels. If you're going to stand firm in a culture of compromise, let me promise you something. You will get pushback. You may get threats. You may face consequences. Let me, get, let me get, give you practical examples. I'm talking to young women who you're hanging out with a guy that you like on a Friday or Saturday night. And 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 you feel the pressure to put out sexually, but, but you're like I, I've got I've got convictions about purity. But then there's all this pressure, not just from the guy, but from your friends too. What do you press? Your faith is under fire. I'm tur- I'm talking to to working people, who may be at your job or on a Zoom call or something. Someone someone like tells a joke that's actually kind of racist. It's like casually racist, and you're like, that's not cool. I can't go along with that, but, like, everyone's laughing and, and crying emojis, and it's like, why aren't you? What's the big d-? Your faith is under fire. Or maybe your boss tells you to bill more hours or pad the books, run up the rates a little bit on your client. And, like, you know it's unethical, but guess what? It's standard practice in your industry. Your faith is under fire. Or maybe it's in your school or classroom, and they're demanding you do something that just violates your conscience or it breaks with with biblical values, and you're trying to avoid conflict. But guess what? The confrontation found you. What do you do? Your faith is under fire. Guys, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's stand up or you stand down with your faith. And I want you to see the courage of these three boys in verse 16. This is gonna enhearten you. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. Now imagine, these three teens are standing before the almighty supreme leader of the ancient world. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Notice they didn't get defensive. They actually say, we don't have to defend ourselves. With all due respect, sir, we don't answer to you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, now watch this, the God whom we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. You hear the conviction, you hear the courage, the faith, but you also hear the tact, the respect. They're like, "Uh, uh, respectfully, sir, our God can save us, but now listen to these next words, because I actually think this is even more powerful. And then they say this, they say, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Are we clear, your majesty? <laughs> I mean, this, this isn't defensive. This is what I call defiant faith. These boys got some big batteries. I'm just telling you, man. They, they stand up to Nebuchadnezzar. They're like, you can throw us in the fire you want, and God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we still win because we're going to heaven to be with Jesus, and so we ain't going to bow down. We're going to stand our ground and stand firm for God's truth in Babylon. You feel that? That's an even-if-not kind of faith. They're like, even if, even if we have to suffer, even if my reputation gets smeared, even if it costs me, even if I lose my job, even if it means less money, even if it means I have no boyfriend or girlfriend, I will not budge and I will not bend. I worship the Lord alone. Amen? Give me some Yankee Stadium noise if you believe it. Come on, let's hear in the chat. I'm telling What's the big idea? Standing firm takes courage. And that word courage, it actually comes from the French word core, which means heart. It's when God stirs something in your heart. And, and let me be clear about what courage is and, and it isn't. Courage is not the person who's like, I ain't afraid of nothing, man. That's just people fronting. It's actually the person of faith who may very well have their fears, but she refuses to bow to them. These guys had legitimate fears. Nebi wasn't bluffing. But something, I would say, the Holy Spirit stirred in their heart. And let me make a prediction that some of you will be in situations this year where God's going to need to stir something in your heart in the face of a situation where the culture says, no, 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 you don't have a choice. You do this or else. True courage is not the absence of fear. It's standing firm in spite of it. And when you do that, when the Holy Spirit gives you that moral courage, let me tell you, something powerful happens. Because you may, you may feel like you're all alone, but let me, tell you, let me tell you, when you stand for God, guess what? God stands for you, amen? Watch this, this is the best part of the story, I love this. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious, age of outrage, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that his face became, look at this, distorted with as I was like constipated, I'm gonna explode. <laughs> Type it in the comment section. <laughs> he commanded that the furnace be heated how hot? Next, next slide. Seven times hotter than usual. In other words, I'm gonna now turn up the heat on you boys. You're gonna feel this. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army. To bind the three of them and throw them into the blazing furnace. And so they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, their robes, or other garments that were in Babylonian clothes. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, look at this, look at this. The flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. You ever have this like where you, when you like heat your oven and you forget about it and you go back and you're like, oh, I wonder if it's at 450. And it's just like that, that heat knocks you back. Guys, this furnace was so hot, it instantly kills the soldiers who throw them in. You talk about faith under fire. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But now watch this. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement out of off his throne. Because he's watching this whole thing. He exclaimed his wait, "Wait a minute! Look, what is this? Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace?" "Yes, Your Majesty," we certainly did," they replied. "Look!" Nebuchadnezzar shouted. "I zoom in a little bit on the camera. I want to. I see four men unbound walking around in the fire, unharmed. And Look, the fourth looks like who? A." The fourth looks like Jesus. He's like there's another one in the fire and it looks like a son of the gods. Does that give you chills? It gives me chills when I read that. I don't want you to ever forget this church because when you stand up for Jesus, you're never alone. He stands right next to you. In theology, this is what we call a theophany. Where God actually takes on human form. And many scholars agree that this isn't an angel. The actual language, a son of the gods, suggests this is a very rare and very powerful appearance, pre-incarnate of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And we can't fully explain it. Like we know that from the beginning of creation, Jesus has been where? He's seated right next to his Father in heaven. But from time to time, Jesus is like, hey, Dad, I'll be right back. I'm going to go down there and freak Nebuchadnezzar out. (laughs) We're going to have a little fun. Because my three friends are feeling the heat right now, and I want them to know I'm the fourth man in the fire right next to them. When they stand for me, I'm going to stand with them. I'm preaching to somebody today whose faith is under fire. And you feel like you're in the minority. You feel like you're all alone and like no one's standing with you. And God sent me to tell you, when you stand for Jesus, he stands right next to you. You plus God is always a majority. Amen? Make some noise if you believe it, church. Give God some praise. I love that. What happens when you actually stand firm for Jesus? Watch this. That Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace because it's so hot, and he shouted, you guys down there, Sh- Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the other guy, uh, servants of the most high God. <laughs> Suddenly Nebuchadnezzar's like, I got a new religion. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you guys have the most high God? Okay, you guys awesome? You guys, Nebuchadnezzar gets saved. This is like Crazy. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, crowded around and saw, watch this, that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. And their clothing wasn't scorched. And this is one, I love this verse in the Bible. They didn't even smell like smoke. (laughs) Listen, let let me tell you something. Would you take a stand for Jesus in the middle of an Antichrist culture, you don't have to run away. You could actually be right in the middle of it and not a hair on your head will be touched. You won't even smell like smoke. God will and can protect you. But even if not in this life, He will still honor and reward you in the life to come. Amen? Friends, you and I walk in the footsteps of martyrs, modern ones, who stood firm and it cost them everything. You know, I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You guys heard of him? Christian pastor who in the uh, middle of Nazi Germany. Even the Christian churches were compromised. And trains would actually go by the churches that were, the, the trains were filled with Jewish people that they were sending concentration camps to exterminate. And the German Christians wouldn't stand up for them. In fact, you know what they did in some of the churches in Germany? Some of them just sang those hymns they were singing louder so they would drown out the sound of the trains you imagine? But Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, no, 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 this isn't right. Not on my watch. This can't happen. And literally in the middle of a sermon, he stopped preaching, walked off the stage. He says, I'm going to stand up for the Jews. And he was arrested and eventually executed for his faith. In fact, right before he was hanged, he wrote, tell my family, my earthly end is coming, but my new life is just beginning. I want you to think about the courage that took to stand. I think of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who who we all celebrate now, but guys, he was hated in his day by so many. Why? Because he stood firm against systemic racism and inequality. Even many in the church opposed him. But Dr. King said, no, no, you know what? Racial justice isn't a political issue. It's a gospel issue. Liberty and equality for all God's children. And that image of him walking peacefully, arm in arm, over Edmund Pettus Bridge, thank God for Dr. King's courage, amen? But it cost him his life. It cost him his life. Now, I'm not saying you got to go out and you got to organize a march or get up on your desk tomorrow and start preaching here, okay? Listen. But when you set a boundary that your boyfriend doesn't like and your girlfriends make fun of, guess what? Jesus stands with you. And when you say, guys, I'm sorry, man, that joke is racist. And I, I like to laugh, but as a Christian, I'm not okay with that. Jesus stands with you. I, I wonder right now, what would standing for Jesus look like right now in your life this week? Maybe it's actually telling your boss, Your Majesty? <laughs> with all due respect, I am so sorry but I can't pad the billing. It's unethical, and as a follower of Jesus, I won't do it. Listen to me. When you walk into that office, Jesus is standing with you, and so is HR. (laughs) (laughs) When you stand up and when you're firm but you're respectful, it can actually change the hardest heart. Nebuchadnezzar actually has a change of heart because of these boys' response. It's actually kind of funny. I think this is funny. Look at this. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, let's have a worship service. Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Woo! He sent his angel, Jesus, to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any small G God except their own capital G God. He says, therefore, I make this decree, new rule, If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll be torn limb from limb. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. So Nebuchadnezzar was saved. He wasn't sanctified just yet. Okay? (laughs) He he had some some hard habits to break. He's a little bit of a work in progress, okay? It's kind of like, remember in Saving Nemo or Bruce the Shark? He's like, fish are our friends, but I want to eat them all. (laughs) That's like, Nebuchadnezzar, he actually starts preaching. He says this, he goes, he goes, listen, there is no other God who can rescue like this one. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. They thought taking a stand would get them demoted or destroyed, but it actually got them promoted. This is a kingdom promotion. Because every time you stand up for Jesus, you will find he is standing right next to you. Amen? It's better than Aaron Boone, people. Let me close with a couple thoughts. First one's this. In this world, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. We are living in a culture right now that says, truth is relative, man. Compromise is king. And if you don't, there's going to be consequences. I get it. It's hard to stand for truth in Babylon. But listen to me. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. And there is a worship war underway right now. And your heart is in, your heart is in the crosshairs. So don't be afraid to stand up for God. Remember, as Christians, guys, we're, not called, we're called to stand for something, not against everything. I'm not against culture. I'm not against political parties. I don't hate people. I speak up because I love God. We stand up because we love Jesus. And Jesus teaches us to love those we disagree with in the hopes that their heart will change and they'll grow to love the God of the Bible too. Amen? Amen. Well, let's not be a church that's isn't that, that's known, well, they're all against all sorts of stuff. Let's be the church that's known being for God. Amen? Let me also challenge you to do this, to stand up and speak up. As Christians, a lot of us have a hard time speaking up for Jesus in public. And, and that's, not, that's, that's human nature. It's not new. In fact, you know what um, the Apostle John said? When Jesus was on earth, John wrote this, he said, no one had the courage to speak favorably about Jesus in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble. But can I just tell you in 2021, the need to speak up for Christ has never been greater. And I realize that may scare some of you. You're like, man, Tim, I just, I'm afraid that maybe my, my Christian views may offend people, that they may, maybe they will hurt them. Like if I speak up, they won't understand, and maybe they'll see me as out of touch, or worse, I'm the religious bigot. Guys, this is a risk we all have to take. You don't have to be a jerk about it. We'll talk about this next week. What's loving well look like? But if you keep your heart pure and you ask the Holy Spirit to season your words with grace, guess what? You don't have to worry what people think because God's truth has the power to set people free. So you just trust him with the outcome. You're right. Not everybody's going to like what you have to say. But if you do it lovingly, with actually care and respect and honor, not like an us versus them argument, you will actually earn respect. You have to balance truth and grace. That's next week. But be bold and have courage. You know, even the Apostle Paul, you think of him as like, man, he was bold. Did you know what? He needed God to challenge him in this area. Look what it says in Acts. It says, one night the Lord had to speak to Paul in a vision and tell him: don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. You may say, Tim, that's, but that's Paul, man. I'm more of like a stealth Christian. Like I just kind of, I don't need to speak up as long as I'm right with Jesus in my heart. Listen, if you're reluctant to stand publicly for Jesus, can I just remind you? He stood up for you on the cross. He put his life on the line. He gave up his reputation, his safety, his life. He laid it down on the cross. Why? Because he loved you that much. And you know what Jesus said? He said, stand up for me against world opinion, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. If you turn tail and run, you think I'll cover for you? In other words, if we don't stand up for Christ on earth, he'll say, well, I guess this is just a one-way relationship. And he won't stand up for us in heaven. See, you've got to have heaven's perspective when your faith is under fire. Can I just take, take your eyes a moment? off earthly issues, and just direct your your eyes to heaven where you're a citizen. And this, this last detail is going to kind of blow your mind if you think about it. Here's an amazing question to close. What is Jesus doing right now in heaven? Is he standing up or is he sitting down? Anybody? No. He's sitting down. Where? At the right hand of God the Father. Now, you're almost right. Watch this. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is always described as sitting, not standing at the right hand of God. In Luke, Jesus says, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Hebrews says he's actually sitting there making intercession for you. In other words, he's talking to God about you. Pretty cool, right? He's praying for you. But did you know there's one place in the New Testament where Jesus actually stands up? where he gives a standing ovation in heaven for a Christian here on earth. It's for a young man named Stephen. In the book of Acts, Stephen kept telling people about Jesus and and that they need to repent and put their faith in him. And the leaders in his culture said, you better knock off this Jesus talk. We don't want to hear it anymore. But Stephen couldn't stop preaching. He's like, I can't stop talking about what my Jesus did. And you know what they did to Stephen? They took him outside and stoned him. They dragged him outside and stoned him to death for standing up and speaking up about Jesus. And Stephen became the first Christian martyr. Now, there have been millions of martyrs since, but he's the first person to lose his life for Christ after the resurrection, which is a great honor. And as Stephen was stoned, you know what the Bible says? Look at this verse. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. And he saw the glory of God, and Jesus what, church? Jesus what? Standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and I see the Son of Man, what? Standing at the right hand of God. And the first time I read that, I thought, wow. The only time Jesus stands up in heaven is when a young Christ follower stands up for him on earth. Stephen stood up and proclaimed his name. And Jesus, watching from heaven's windows, stood up and gave him a standing ovation. My boy Stephen. My boy Stephen. Cool. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? And here's my question. Would Jesus be giving you a standing ovation right now? Like, like what would standing up for Christ look like for you in your world right now this week? And as Jesus looks down, because he is, would he actually look at your life and stand up and say, well done, my son. Well done, Don, my daughter. You stood up for me on earth, and now I'm going to stand up for you before my Father in heaven. Here's the truth, and I hope God just burns this on your heart. When you stand for Jesus, you are never alone. He stands right alongside you. Just receive that truth in your heart right now. You and Jesus are always a majority. So I don't know what fire you're facing or where your faith's being put to the test, but there will be a moment when the heat gets turned up, I'm sure, in your life. And don't be afraid. Have courage. There's a fourth man in the fire, and he's standing next to you. Amen? Let's open. Come on. Give God a little praise. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Open your hands for prayer. Let's pray right now. Just receive this in your spirit. Jesus, I pray right now. Open heaven and pour out your Holy Spirit, the courage of Stephen, a spirit filled courage right now into the heart of every man and woman and child under the sound of my voice. I pray, Jesus, right now, would you give them your supernatural strength to stand firm in this culture of compromise? Lord, we don't stand up arrogantly because we got it right and the world got it wrong. We just stand in humility, Father. Because at the end of the day, we just believe, Jesus, you are Lord over all. And we are answerable to you alone. And so we won't back down. We won't be afraid. Jesus, we know right now you're standing with us. When you stand with us, we are never alone. So help us balance grace and truth like you did. Now, we're praying. And if you're here today and you're like, you know what? I, Tim, I feel convicted right now. I've been a compromising Christian and I know my relationship with God ain't at the commitment level it needs to be. You know what? I, I need to stand for Jesus. I actually want you to do something bold. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come down an aisle or click at the end. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to physically stand up right now wherever you are. I want you to stand right on up. Sometimes we bow in worship. This is a moment to stand and worship. If you'd say, today, I want to commit in my heart to stand up for Christ, I want you to stand up right now. People standing up all over, wherever you are, in your living room, your apartment, in our live location, just stand up. God, only God, stand, acknowledge me on earth, and I'll acknowledge you in heaven. You see, it's a way of saying, I'm standing today in, in faith, to put Jesus where he belongs, in the throne of my heart. Just stand where you are so I can pray for you. If you're not a Christian, you can become one. If you are a Christian, you're rededicating your heart to the Lord. You can just pray something simple like this. You can just say, Jesus, thank you for standing with me. Just say that. Jesus, thank you for standing with me. Father, thank you for sending Jesus into the fire to die for me. And today I put my faith fully in you, Jesus. I believe you died and that you rose again and that you're coming soon. And so forgive my sins wash me clean. I turn from them now. I make you my Lord today. Come into my life and change me and give me strength to stand for you. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Church, let's give God some Yankee Stadium level worship. Make some noise. He's that good. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.